0: So what AQ is, is a way to intentionally navigate any conversation for the purpose of greater influence in the world. Imagine if you could take that story that you know so well, and you could just transfer it to someone else. We don't have a plug that can take from my brain to your brain, but that was sort of the underlying logic here, is how can we best transfer important knowledge to each other so we can understand and
1: influence others. This is the ERP Organizational Change Journal podcast, brought to you by Nestle & Associates, a Newport Beach, California-based ERP organizational change management firm serving the private equity industry. The ERP OCJ seeks to share expertise, insight, experience, and research, and to create effective conversation to help guide ERP organizational change to real, measurable, and verified success. And now, here's your ERP expert and host, the founder of Nessel & Associates, Dr. Jack Nessel. Hello
2: everyone, Jack here. In today's episode, we're diving deep into a subject that's redefining the way businesses communicate and lead, answer intelligence or AQ. This approach, rooted in the science of questions and answers, offers a strategic framework for decision-making, leadership, and effective communication. As our business landscapes evolve, understanding and leveraging AQ can be the key to heightened influence and success, and I believe that delving into the nuances of AQ is not just enlightening, but essential for our listeners involved in private equity m as IT governance, and more. So let's embark on this journey to elevate our communication and decision-making proudness. We have with us today Dr. Brian Glibkowski, the creator of Answer Intelligence, or AQ, and the CEO of Semplar Science. His groundbreaking work has not only been recognized by the Association of Human Resource Development, but has also carved a niche in the world of leadership and communication. Author of the notable book, answer intelligence, raise your AQ. Brian takes a scientific approach towards understanding and delivering answers in business and daily life. Joining us from the greater Chicago area, Brian, welcome to the show.
0: Jack, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me.
2: You bet. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. What an intriguing and interesting topic we have today for sure. But Brian, before we get started, can you tell our listeners more about yourself?
0: Yeah, my background is essentially a management professor And in that background, I did research on questions that I published in academia, and I made one simple observation that we know a lot about questions. You know, going back to grade school, we learn about the 6WH questions, open and close Uh, questions. And that really led me to wanting to understand the answer side of the equation better.
2: Interesting. Well, let's dive into some of these questions I have for you today. And and Brian, thank you again for sharing more about your journey and accomplishments and your insight. I assure our listeners is going to be quite interesting here on a topic that's innovative, I would say. It's an honor to have you here and with someone with your expertise. I think that uh, conversations like these are pivotal for our audience as they offer insights that can be game-changing in the evolving business landscape and that the principles and applications of AQ can provide a unique edge in decision-making, leadership, and overall communication. And Brian, again, we really appreciate your taking the time to share your knowledge within our community here. Listeners, all of us here at the ERP OCJ hope you find this podcast useful as we share lessons learned, discover best practices, and explore the human element components of ERP organizational change. Please stay with us to the end. Brian will give us his actionable golden nugget of advice based on today's conversation, and I will recap today's key discoveries and offer my suggestions on how to implement what we've learned. Our conversations here at the ERP OCJ podcast are built around the listen and learn approach, but it's when you apply what you've learned that you begin to move the needle forward. So let's dive in. Brian, I would like to maybe ask three or four questions regarding the science behind AQ and just really understanding exactly what is AQ, answer intelligence and its impact on business leadership. So with that, can you briefly explain the concept of answer intelligence or AQ and its origins a little bit more?
0: Yeah, let me explain the concept of it and then and then the origins. So basically, we're all familiar with questions, you know, six WH questions, why, what, how, when, where, and those are great. Answer intelligence is mapping those questions to specific answers and understanding which questions relate to which answers. So to illustrate, if we're talking about leadership and you're interviewing me for a position, you might ask, you know me, Brian. What do you think leadership is? And as a concept, I could say it's inspiring others and holding them accountable to achieve goals. That's a definition. It's a concept. As a metaphor, you know, I could say leadership is like two ropes, and I can have my fingers extended. And I could say, you know, my, these two two fingers extended. You know, when you inspire others and hold them accountable by themselves, that's great. But it's even stronger when you do it in combination. I can cross my fingers and say that's a stronger rope. So sort of illustrated there that what questions are answered with concept and metaphor. And there's a similar mapping where why questions are mapped to story and theory, which is also strategy, and how questions are mapped to procedure and action. So what AQ is, is a way to intentionally navigate any conversation for the purpose of greater influence in the world. So that's what the framework is. And let me pause there, and then I'm happy to tell you a little bit more about the science if you'd like.
2: That would be great.
0: Okay. So the science basically relates to the structure of knowledge. It's related to epistemology of knowledge. It's a strong grounding there. But it's it's also tethered to other disciplines like psychology, neuroscience, among others. And the basic idea is that there are different types of knowledge that we might call declarative knowledge, like knowledge of concepts, you know, practical knowledge, how we get things done, abstract knowledge, things like theories. And all this knowledge can be communicated through questions and answers. And that's basically where this framework was developed as a way to transfer knowledge. And I'll just say one more thing, like my original aspiration doing this research would be imagine if you could take that story that you know so well, And you could just transfer it to someone else, you know, and we don't have like a a plug that can take from my brain to your brain. But that was sort of the underlying logic here is how can we best transfer important knowledge to each other so we can understand and influence others?
2: Well, that was an awesome explanation. I appreciate it, Brian. So just to dig a little deeper on that. So why are the six WH questions so essential in business communication and decision making? You just referenced some of that a little bit, but can you dig a little deeper? Yeah.
0: Yeah, sure. Let me give you an example. Maybe it could relate to your audience. You think of like change and maybe two organizations are merging. There's a lot of change that's occurring, a lot of important questions. And let's just take culture. You know, both organizations approach culture, but the key is we have alignment around what those answers are. So take the basic questions. You know, what is culture here at company X, you know, and company Y? Why is culture important at company X, company Y? How do we live the culture, you know, company X, company Y? And each of these questions relates back to those answer types I talked about. And on a very fundamental level, if your stories in company X are not the same or align with the stories for company Y, there's going to be a disconnect. So, you know, each of the answer types gives us a way to get alignment around culture or any topic. So that'd be sort of an explanation of, you know, all the, well, the questions, why they're important. I think we all realize that, but then mapping it to the answers and having these conversations where we, we're we aligned and we, we both think about culture the same way.
2: So, Brian, you, you just mentioned alignment around culture, but how does the AI framework fit into the broader spectrum of leadership and effective communication exactly?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, when you're a leader, you're going to be asked pointed questions. So, like, let me, let me paint a picture. Let's say that I'm a leader and I'm working with a direct report and this direct report was just passed over for a promotion, right? They're gonna be asking all kinds of questions of me. You know, they're gonna say, you know, why do I feel so bad about this? You know, how do I, you know, improve certain skills? Um, what did I do wrong? You know, these are all questions that you need to connect to different answers in order to be credible with the person you're talking. So for instance, you know, as a, as a concept, I might realize the person that's talking to me has lower motivation. And since I understand answers and I understand the way the world works to some extent, I could say, why is is motivation lower if someone is passed over a promotion? And you you start to connect the dots and say, recognition is important. So I'm meeting them where they're at, you're not being recognized, that's why you're being passed over. And it's leading to a, a conversation and I'm talking about all these different answers. And at the bottom line is if you can't navigate these questions and connect them to certain answers, you're not going to help this person. You're not going to influence them. And, and so that, that was sort of high level with some little illustrations. Let me pause there to see if you have a follow-up question on that.
2: No, that was good. And, and I think you in part answered the, my next question, Brian, but yeah. I'm going to ask it anyways, because I, I really want to emphasize this point. But, you know, so your research, as you indicated already, your research indicated six answer types, right? Including theory, story, metaphor. But could you elaborate on how these answers can be used strategically uh, in yeah. business scenarios? Exactly.
0: Yeah. So let me give you an example. I'll put it in a sales context. And let's say, you know, everyone's selling their ideas or selling products, and there's a person sitting across from you. And in AQ terms, you want to listen for the questions they're asking. And if you're working with an operational person, they're probably going to be asked, you know, questions that are practical. They want to know how are we going to move forward. And in AQ terms, it gives you a simple lens to do that. You can tell them a procedure. Well, here's the three steps we're going to use. Step one, two, three. And you give them a key action, something unique or best practice. You're going to satiate their need for those kind of answers. And I'll tell you what, what I'm saying may seem obvious, but it's not. An example sort of uh, opposite of this, you know, I was working with a sales organization and they were selling, they had junior sellers that were selling to executive buyers in AQ terms. Basically, the questions the buyers had were around, why do we want to do this? They were strategic. They were looking for stories. And you know what the sales reps were doing? They were answering with features and functions, sort of like procedures and actions. They are addressing the how question. Mm. So they were they were addressing the wrong question, and they weren't being intentional. And i give you one more example for leaders in a meeting. You know, at a very high level for leaders who are leading their next meeting, you know, An effective meeting, I would say, is one that asks and answers all these questions we're talking about to varying degrees, depending on emphasis. But I would assert that every one of us, including myself, have been in meetings where it becomes story time, right? Susan tells a story. John tells a story. We're 30 minutes into the meeting, and we feel like we've made some progress, but at the same time, it doesn't feel satisfying, In AQ terms, what happened was the meeting was not navigated intentionally. You know, Mm -hmm. we we allowed people and accepted any answer, basically stories. And we didn't really address the other questions like, well, what was the point of the story? Trying to get a concept. Well, how are we going to implement this procedure in action? And unless you're intentional, what happens is we drift through the world in these conversations and we don't control them. And if we don't control them, we can't influence the world.
2: Fascinating topic. Fascinating topic. Um, so, so Brian, uh, I now would like to just ask some questions specific to your book. Uh, and again, we'll share that link uh, with our listeners in our show notes. But, you know, your book does highlight five high AQ practices that distinguish expert communicators. Could you briefly walk us through these five practices?
0: Yeah. So the first practice is provide six answers. And it's, it's really be able to provide six answers, but provide the best singular answer. So for example, if I go to the convenience store and I ask the convenience store clerk, how do I find a Mars candy bar? What I'm really looking for the cleaning, convenience store clerk to do is give me a procedure. The three steps go down this aisle, take a left bottom shelf, grab the candy bar. You know, I don't want a story about Mars Candy Bar. So it's that <laughs> sort of that spirit. You know, if you are talking to someone, they're asking you a question, what is the singular best answer you could provide? That's what high AQ practice one is. And we all appreciate that when we're we're talking to someone and we ask a question, we get that answer that we're looking for, that answer type. So that's that's practice one. Should I move on?
2: Yeah, please do.
0: Please okay, do. So everything builds off practice one. Practice two is answer twice. So for important why, what, and how questions, you want to answer twice to sort of appeal to the logical side of the brain and the emotional side of the brain, subjective side of the brain. And the AQ circle, it's a framework. There's answers on the left side, theory, concept, procedure, and answers on the right side, story, metaphor, action. So I've already given you the example of leadership, right? Where I said, it's about inspiring others, holding them accountable. And then the metaphor of the two ropes. So if you answer twice, you're providing both answers seamlessly in one utterance. And, and that's going to sort of, you know, trigger both sides of the brain. So the idea of the answer twice is you want to do it for emphasis. You know, if someone doesn't understand something or when there's a very key point you want to make, but you don't want to do it for every answer because you'd be droning on. So that's uh, answer twice. Mm-hmm. And I'll just move on to the next one is answering compliments. So that's the idea that certain answers in combination will best fit each other. So an example there would be if someone listening is in mentoring training, I could define what mentoring is. You might have an implicit or explicit question. I could say mentoring is helping others to become their better future selves at work it consists of career support, social support, and role modeling. And you may logically say, wow, that's a great answer, right? And I could elaborate a little bit more and define each of those pieces. But then in a conversation, you're you're likely to move to adjacent answers. So you're going to say, wow, so I understand what social support is, but how do I provide it to my mentee? And it's next to each other on the, on the circle. So it's adjacent. And I might then proceed to give you an example of how to provide social support. I would say here's a three-step procedure for social support. Step one, you have your door open. Step two, someone comes in. Step three, you you know you ask them if, if this meeting will take less than five minutes. If so, you meet. If not, you schedule some other time. And the whole point of that procedure is it's very consistent with social support, unlike task support, because when someone's in pain, let's say you come to me and you're in pain emotionally, it's like a fire that you need put out right away. And if, if we don't meet right away, then it's gonna fester in you. So that's an example of how you, you progress in conversations using compliments. So that's uh, high IQ practice three. High IQ practice four is style. So in my aforementioned example, if I'm working with an operations person, you know, they're probably going to want practical answers. Those are procedures and actions. So regardless of the questions being asked at a higher base rate, I'm going to be more focused on procedures and actions if that's the style they prefer. And there's three styles in total. There's practical procedures and actions. Analytical is concepts and theories. You know, we've all been around those big thinker types that like that. And then, relational stories and metaphors connecting to emotions and experiences. So what answer a style is saying is you can profile individuals, profile yourself, profile others, and you want to sort of provide answers that are consistent with the styles they prefer. And the final, um, high practice is answering context. And that's all the answer types, all the question types we just went through, um, are going to vary depending on the context potentially. So simple example, If I'm interviewing for a job at a bank, all being equal, a story about me working in a bank is going to be best. If I'm interviewing at a bakery, a story of me working at a bakery is best. So this sort of takes it to the next level where you go from checkers to chess when you consider the context. So those are the the five uh, practices. And I know it's a lot. So uh, hopefully everyone could follow that sequence. And visuals will help. I know you'll have it in yeah. the story notes, some visuals of the wheel.
2: Yeah, yeah, and this is good. And And Brian, I'll leave it up to our listeners to purchase your book or to contact you, but uh, but in summary, um, those five AQ practices were, number one, provide six answers. Uh, number two, answer twice, number three, answer and compliments, number four, style and, and and profile individuals, and number five was answer and context. And I think what we're saying here is AQ can be learned, right? You have to be deliberate yes. and intentional, and it takes practice. But AQ, answer intelligence, can be learned by following this framework.
0: It can. And I wonder if I could just lead into this for your audience it's a skill. Yeah. I think a lot of what you see with communication is not a skill. Skill is a complete framework you can operate within. So even something like nonverbals or empathize with someone or active listening, I think these can be mapped to AQ, but by themselves, they're not a framework. And I think the parallel, if I could paint this metaphor for your audience, I'm from Chicago, so I'll preface this, is take <laughs> basketball. You can score in different ways in basketball, jump shot, three-pointer, layup, right? And those are all like the different answers you can use, the different high IQ practices. These are techniques you can use. And you could potentially get to the highest levels, college or MBA, if you're like a three-point specialist. So for your listeners, that might mean someone's really great at stories, you know, and, and one of the answer types. But if you want to be at the highest level, you have to have command of all the answer types, of all the high IQ practices. And this is where I get to Chicago, you know, take Michael Jordan. You know, when he started his career, he was great at dunking and, you know, close to the basket. Then he developed the mid-range shot and three-pointers and turnaround jumper. Well, guess what? At the end of the day, he could communicate, you know, I mean, not communicate, he could score in every way. And that's analogous to, you know, communicating every way, using all the practices, having that kind of skill. And that's basically the uh, the extended metaphor there. I, I think your, your audience might appreciate that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. So... Maybe, um, you know, you, you talk about real-life examples, right, in, in your book from renowned organizations like Salesforce and Boston Mutual Life Insurance, for example. Can you provide our listeners with some, some additional insight there on how have these entities leveraged AQ for better outcomes? Can you maybe share a, yeah. a bit of a case study summary?
0: Yeah, I'll maybe just give you two examples. Sure. One is from the chapter on on sales, and it's co-authored with uh, individuals at Gong and Salesforce, And we looked at Gong's data for sales. And what Gong does is they record sales calls. And one thing we found was that, or they found, I think it's consistent with AQ, is that effective sellers had balanced conversations. They spoke about equally with each side. They asked and answered questions about equally. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we're trying to strive for here with AQ. We've done a lot of emphasis on the answer side, but it's really mapping of questions to answers. And as a straw sort of person framework for a q effective conversations are like like a great dinner conversation you know last you know think of a dinner conversation with a friend it tends to be balanced both sides speak about equally both sides ask and answer questions about equally both sides care about each other and that is the same conversation in every other arena i think leadership sales it's about balanced so really what we're advocating here is a very common sense approach which in the case of Gong's data is supported in sales, effective conversations are balanced. Both sides speak about equally, both sides ask and answer questions. And that's what we're really looking to elevate with AQ is there's a lot of focus on questions, but now we add answers, do it both and have these balanced conversations and you're going to be more effective. That's one example. Um, And I'll just transition to the second example, yeah, this is from the book with Boston Mutual Life Insurance, a longtime client of mine and co-authored the book with the CEO and the chief uh, communications officer. And in this book, you know, and many of your those listening today are thinking about their culture, right? We brought that up before. Well, Boston Mutual wanted to enhance their culture, and they decided to do it sort of using AQ. And where they started from, was this idea that they wanted to have a strong family culture. And in similar ways, other organizations are going to key into things. I mean, family sort of makes sense of the insurance industry. But as we got into it in AQ terms, they hadn't really wrestled to the ground where all the answers were. And I'll give you an insight. For example, take um, the concept of family. That may seem kind of boring. But we connected it back to families that survived the Great Depression. Those families had three attributes. They're flexible, they're cohesive, and they communicated well. Now, that's powerful. As opposed to, you know, we're a family in some diffuse way. They've defined it as a strong family, broke it down to those dimensions. And now as you connect that to different answer types, like, say, a procedure by which a customer service team is going to do their work, they're connecting back to those principles and saying, how do we do customer service that's cohesive, that's flexible, that we communicate well. And you know, that one answer helped unlock other answers. But in similar ways, what we find with individuals that don't use AQ is they have these singular answers that are incomplete. And, and they don't know how to connect it to other answers, but using AQ, they're able to develop their all their answers for culture. And what it meant to them at the end of the day was, you know, they they were living the brand, and they were communicating it in terms of questions and answers internally and externally, and it just really transformed how they embrace the culture. So that that's the second example.
2: Great examples. Um, so let me. What well, I think what I'm hearing you say, Brian, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, and and I also think the chapters in your book, you know, cover some of these. Uh, I, I guess these various forms of aQ right so I, I, you know I just heard you in the previous response you talked a little bit about maybe sales aQ or maybe leadership aQ or maybe there's a, a such thing as customer service aQ or coaching AQ um, can you provide for our listeners and again maybe a sneak peek into your book but how how aQ can be tailored to different professional scenarios exactly you know because I, I think you know what, what you just described is a couple of different categories of, of practical, use maybe yeah. yeah does that question make sense
0: yeah it does make sense i think a good way another metaphor you know i like <laughs> to use metaphors so i like to eat my own dog food as they say or, or try to but you know think of aq as a container so a container that, that can hold any topic and then you have the liquid contain the actual topic itself so if, if you're someone that's interested in leadership or culture What that is, is the liquid that's poured inside of the container. And what I'm getting at here is that every topic can be navigated with these questions. So if you're, let's take leadership. If you're a leader, you need to ask and answer basic questions. What is leadership? Why do I lead? How do I lead? And you need these answers. But where everything gets contextualized is that the specific answers vary depending on the context. So you take sales. You know, A procedure might be the funnel, right? It's very different than a procedure of doing mentoring. So every person that's coming to AQ with different disciplinary backgrounds has unique answers that they can put into the framework and use it to help them navigate the conversation. So that's, you know, essentially the way AQ works is that there is a framework that's consistent across topics, but the answers will be unique, um, oftentimes indifferent within a topic. So it's up to those professionals or experts to sort of pour their content into the framework. And that's when it really comes to life.
2: Wow. Good stuff. So, so Brian, I think in my view, um, you know, obviously frameworks are as good as, as their application, right? I guess I would say. And so, you know, for me, I think it's clear why you provide uh, in your book an AQ self-assessment, right? But I think that that's because, as you just mentioned, Brian, that AQ is a skill that can be developed, right? Uh, it takes intent, it, it takes development, it takes uh, reflection. But can you tell our listeners more about how they can most effectively benefit from your AQ self-assessment?
0: Yeah. So I think the self-assessment is it's, it's a very basic test. It's about question and answer mapping. It's sort of analogous to that you know convenience store clerk. You ask the convenience store clerk, you know, how do I find the Mars candy bar? And if the convenience store clerk was taking the assessment, they might choose procedures, the appropriate answer. So there's a series of questions, and you have to map the appropriate answer to the question, and the questions are derived from AI. They're generated by AI. And then when you're done, you get a score, 0 to 100%, and the average score is about 50% correct. And and then there's a report that will lay out these high IQ practices, and basically the, the first level of AQ is recognizing that there are answer types, they map to questions and sort of paying attention to it. And then from there, there's, you know, other aspects of the skill that can be layered on top of it. But this is like an introductory test that usually points out to people that they've never really thought about this question and answer mapping, and it deserves their attention.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Well, wow. <laughs> good stuff. You know, Brian, I think um, I, I do want to ask you a couple of questions here, uh, three questions or so. But, you know, as I'd mentioned earlier, the idea of going from theory or frame, uh, framework, you know, to practice. And I think the one thing I love about your work is is, is how you do that, right? Is taking sound principle and making it useful and practical for practitioners, right? Whether you're a leader or whatever your role may be in an organization or in a family or in your community, um, you know, it's a pretty powerful ideas. And so let me ask you this, how have the principles of AQ played a role in your personal journey as an executive coach?
0: Yeah, I, uh, you know, I I think the most important thing to me has just been at the basic level, you know, question and answer mapping. I mean, there's all these practices, but Like others, I think that learn about AQ is I would tend to hear, you know, questions and I would give sort of my standard of responses. And let me just say it this way. And this sort of relates to the classroom when I would teach, you know, the students would be asking, how do they negotiate? And I'd be answering with what, you know, why negotiations is important or discussing the concept negotiations. I literally didn't realize that the questions they were asking required different answers than I was providing. And I think so much of the time, we're all on autopilot in our own way. There's certain answers we like to use. We tend to use them over and over again. So in sales, you know, there's an over-reliance on stories. And that's not always the right thing to go to. Mm -hmm. Take like the aviation industry. They over-index on procedures. So, you know, for example... Fighter pilots in Germany, I think it's, let's just say they have manuals that are 500 pages. This is is something along these lines. Commercial pilots in Germany have manuals that are 5,000 pages. Everything is over-indexed on procedures and sort of talking to aviation experts, like when Sully Sullivan landed on the Hudson River, you know, famously, it wasn't because of the procedures. It was other answer types that I won't get into. But that was my biggest lesson, was I over-indexed on theory. And I didn't even realize I was doing it. And it opened my mind to other answers and being more thoughtful and intentional with my communication. Well,
2: being an educator, that would probably was just your natural kind of position, right? <laughs> to over-index that <laughs> yeah. theory. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, everyone has their own natural, I think, baseline answers they tend to default to.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. So,
0: you know, you don't want to be one-trick pony. And, and
2: Brian, you already mentioned, uh, spoke a little bit about Salesforce and Boston Mutual Life Insurance. But can you share a success story where a business leader or organization profoundly benefited from, uh, benefited from embracing AQ? Is there any one story that just stands out that you can share with our listeners?
0: Oh, wow. Any one story. Um, well, I'd say that my favorite story, and this is a personal one, and it relates to the book on a chapter on interviews. I coached, and it's because I was personally involved, I guess. I coached one of my students who was looking for a job at, you know, one of the big four accounting firms. And um, basically I prepped her on AQ and she used all the different techniques. Like for her, like answering a style, she would profile individuals ahead of time and realize they're relational or quickly during the beginning of the call, realize they like stories and metaphors and she would over-index, provide more stories there or answer with compliments. The extreme form is all the answers. So she would go through an interview and she would provide all the answers on her number one soft skill. She wanted that person to know who her candidacy was and communicate to others. Even if their questions were not really great, she moved them to all the answers. Long story short, they told her that, you know, the job she took, that she was the best. She had the best communication on in an interview they've ever seen from, you know, any college student. Hmm. And to me, that's a personal example, but it was one that I was most directly involved with. A lot of the work with AQ, we work with partners around the world in 19 countries, coaches, consultants, and trainers. So I'm not always directly involved with their success stories. I sort of hear about them secondhand, but I witnessed that firsthand. And I think it, you know, to me validated the research I've been doing on AQ. And it was great Uh to see a super talented person, maybe take it a little bit higher, the next level, so to speak.
2: That's a cool story. Cool story. Okay, Brian, how how would you respond to this one? Um, In for our listeners that are involved in private equity, mergers and acquisitions, uh, and or IT governance, how can AQ be a game changer for them?
0: Yeah, we're talking change management, we're talking merger of cultures. So the stakes are high, a lot of money is involved, you know, moving parts. So what do you have to get right? The, the important conversations, the questions and answers lined up. So whether that's well ERP systems or different operational systems or aligning around values or even aligning around change itself, you know, how effective are we at asking and answering basic and specific questions about change? Like, you know, what change are we you know, going through? Why is this change important? How do we implement the change? And I'll share, you know, one related insight on this. What we, we've seen oftentimes is that those that are involved in steering the change will ask and answer these questions and intuitively they have a lot of these answers. They feel really good. But then when it gets pushed down to those rank and file persons in the company, maybe they just push some answers, not really complete, but they're not allowing those rank and file people to go through those same conversations with the questions and answers and not giving that experience. So ultimately, You know, from an AQ standpoint around change management, those conversations aren't occurring. You know, the certain questions seem unaddressed. Answers are disconnected to questions. And it's not surprising that, you know, the change fails. So there's a sort of a broad framing and then it's sort of leaving you with sort of a specific example around, you know, having, in summary, questions and answers when we think about the change. And then questions and answers when we implement the change and having the same level of rigor and engagement at both levels on questions and answers. If you don't do that, you're going to fall short.
2: Great insight. I love it, Brian. That was great. And I I really loved your quote. And I'm going to borrow this. Uh, You said, well, what do you have to get right? The important conversations. (laughs) Um, And uh, I love that quote. So I'm going to borrow that one. (laughs) Uh, But well said. This is a really cool topic. So what do you say about this? As someone at the forefront of this movement, right? Or not just at the forefront, but the pioneer of this movement, I would say, right? Where do you see the future of AQ, uh, especially in the rapidly evolving business landscape?
0: Well, I'd say I what I would like AQ is the, the big, hairy, audacious goal is for it to be the number one communication framework in the world. And what that means is it goes back down to You know, in a very big, hairy, audacious sense, going back to grade school (laughs) to bring this full circle, that students are taught about answer types. They're talk about question-answer mapping, and we have consultants that do higher ed and lower, you know, K through 12 education, so they're doing that work. But then all the way extending to enterprises is that this becomes a framework and a skill that every manager, executive can learn to increase their influence in the world. And I will say, in addition to everything we've talked about today, that I hopefully paint some picture of the importance of AQ, the other thing that executives and managers like about AQ is that it's simple. It's questions and answers that on their face has validity that everyone says, I'm interested in this. But – It's something we don't know about. So people are open to it very different than a lot of frameworks you'll see out there in the world that are idiosyncratic, like you're a purple cow or something like that. You know, you're you're a lion or, you know, a titan, all this jargon. This is a natural language framework anyone can use to increase their influence in the world.
2: Wow. Uh, Brian what is there for research based kind of proof in the pudding right i mean th- this is just a really fascinating framework and a topic and and something that i believe has a lot of Power within an organization. But for those listeners that say, okay, well, what's the metrics? Where's the proof in the pudding? You know, yeah. so for, for example, one of the things that's been pretty common is uh, in, in a lot of great research on the topic, and one includes from uh, Dr. Dennison and Dennison Consulting, where there is you know, pretty objective evidence that those organizations that have strong organizational culture attributes or characters are higher performing organizations in general. And that comes through years of survey and, um, you know, building up a database and research and so forth. But what research is there to demonstrate that the AQ framework works?
0: Yeah, the the short answer is yeah, I'm familiar with Denison research, and, and that's great. Strong foundation research built on top of it. The reality is AQ is relatively new. There's the original <laughs> peer-reviewed academic research we did, but much more research has to be done on top of it, for sure. But I will say this, there are different forms of evidence in you know, a very inclusive sense. One of the things I find most heartening about AQ is that you know, we have an AI-infused software platform where you use these answers, the, the framework as well as streaming in these different kind of questions and answers in real time. And to me is the, the proof is in the putting in the face validity as you start to in it look at the software and the questions and answers and the results that come back, they just make a lot of sense. And there's a continuum of evidence and it, in one end it could be a two by two, you know, you, you want both, you want scientific, academic research. Yes, more of it, but you also want the, you know, the face validity and the, the realization that, I would say very few of us would say that we don't use stories, metaphors, procedures, actions, etc. So the, the the face validity is very strong. But can always add more research. That's that that's the point I want to end at. Yeah.
2: Well, good stuff. Well, Brian, um, as we conclude this incredibly insightful conversation, I'd like to ask you for your golden nugget. So given all that we've discussed today, could you briefly summarize the key takeaways our listeners should remember? So just leave us, leave us yes. with your one insight, kind of condense it into two or three sentences. Uh, what would you like to leave our listeners with?
0: Yeah, I'll be even more compact. I'll say... <laughs> You know, learn and use the high IQ practices. Those are the principles. Those are the different shots in basketball. That's how you're going to influence others. That's how you're going to score. That being said, the most important thing I can stress for you is to take whatever topic you hold most central to yourself. So you may say, I'm a I'm a leader. Think of your role, right? I'm cultural steward. I'm a change agent. What I'm a mentor. Whatever that is, I would challenge you to just take out a piece of paper. And see if you can develop six answer types that correspond to whatever that topic is. So, you know, in AQ terms, you want to ask some basic questions. You know, what is leadership? Why do I lead? How do I lead? Develop six answers. And if you do that, then you're really starting to be intentional. And what we found in our research with the best communicators and thought leaders is that they do this instinctively. Because they think about all these answers, and that's, that's how they influence others. So if you want to increase your influence for whatever topic is most important for you, write down six answers, think about those, refine them, iterate them. And if you do that, I think you're, that, that's one takeaway I would highly recommend.
2: Good stuff. Good stuff, Brian. So as we wrap up today's enlightening discussion on answer intelligence, Brian, I'm, I'm struck by the transformative potential it holds for the world of business and leadership and private equity and mergers and acquisitions. Um, and from understanding the six types of answers to effectively leveraging them in our communications, I believe that AQ offers a unique blueprint for success to be sure, and I'm really excited to see where your work goes and continuing to work and research and you know building up the proof in the pudding, right? For all of our listeners, I encourage you to take the insights from today's conversation and use them in your respective fields. Remember knowledge is powerful, but it's the application that can truly move the needle forward. So let's not just learn, but actively implement to make a difference. Uh, Brian, thank you so much for your time today. I do appreciate your dedication to your work, your research, your teaching. And so I'm I'm very appreciative of that and grateful. But before we go, uh, can you tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you?
0: Yeah, you could find me on LinkedIn, Brian Globkowski. I'm the only one. Also, you can go to our website, raiseyouraq.com. Some resources there. There's a free AQ Exploration Assessment that we talked about you can take. So those are two ways you can get in touch with me. I just want to say, Jack, thank you so much for this opportunity and the engaging conversation.
2: Yeah, thank you, Brian. I, I, likewise, I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you again. Uh, we'll definitely share out your work and your book and our show notes. And I really highly encourage our listeners to check it out. Um, Brian, be well, and uh, we'll talk soon.
0: Likewise.
1: Thank you for joining us for today's episode of the ERP OCJ podcast. This podcast is intended as a forum to study, share, and discuss ERP organizational change successes and challenges. We discuss the people, process, and technological components of ERP organizational change by drawing on knowledge from extensive research, collaborative learning, and practitioner expertise and experience. We are incredibly grateful to have friends, colleagues, and mentors join us in our podcast as we seek to promote, connect, and foster relationships in the ERP organizational change community and contribute to its success by bringing research and practice closer together. We want to make sure this is the most useful and insightful ERP podcast you listen to, and we'd love your help in doing so by leaving us feedback and a review. A great place to do so is at Apple Podcasts. Just click on the Listen in Apple Podcasts link, then click Ratings and Reviews, and let us know your thoughts. You can get more info about the show, including show notes and episode highlights for this and all of our episodes by visiting nestleandassociates.com and clicking the podcast option. Please join us again next week as we discuss the latest ERP organizational change research, practice, and stories. And don't forget to follow us on social media. Hashtag the ERP OCJ. Thanks again for listening. Have a fantastic week.